Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to another episode of Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm the host of the program, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com physician rating website. On today's program, we're going to look at a controversial issue in medicine, the interactions of drug companies with physicians, and in particular, with academic medical centers. There's a host of research and educational activities that are based in academic medical centers. Industry, pharmaceutical industry, is actively involved. Are there benefits of this? There most certainly must be some risks. To speak to us about this today, we have Dr. Guy Chisholm. He is Director of Innovation Management and Conflict of Interest at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Chisholm, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. I want to start off just by talking to listeners about why on earth are medical centers interacting with companies uh, to begin with? Well, I think the, uh, you know, the way to look at this is to realize that universities and academic medical centers are uh, houses that are generating a lot of basic and translational science and clinical science. And out of that, out of those uh, research endeavors come discoveries. And from those discoveries come the potential for intellectual property that if uh, could, if it could come to fruition, would benefit patients. And the realization, uh, the, the fact is that a, an academic medical center is not a manufacturing site. So in order to bring those discoveries to benefit patients, there has to be a partnership with industry. And so um, and, and that's one of the major ways that uh, academia, academia and industry um, relate to one another that's absolutely beneficial to people. Uh, the second most common one is that industry in its attempts to understand disease processes uh, and where, uh, where there are markets and, and opportunities for devices and for pharmaceuticals often call on academics who are involved in research to consult them to determine uh, what are the, the good avenues for research and the opportunities. So those are the two main ways that interactions take place, and they're both very beneficial. Uh, so the geniuses at the medical center come up with new ideas that could benefit patients. They need to work with industry to make to, to, to actually put those benefits into the hands of patients. Uh, you know, I see another thing going on where it seems like a lot of the innovation actually happens at the industry end, and they require partners who deal with patients to test their products. 
Well, that, that's another huge area where industry interacts with academia. If, you, if you're industry and you have a device or you have a pharmaceutical and you're, you're going through the processes of getting that approved at FDA, uh, there's a requirement that those get tested at first in animals and then in, in humans, and that there's caution in various stages of those uh, trials. And industry is very often interested in partnering with the most knowledgeable uh, academicians, academic medical folks in the area of the disease process that they're addressing. So um, calling on those academic medical centers to, to actually perform the clinical trials and those faculty members to be involved in them uh, is attractive to industry. So I look at all these modern miracle drugs that I have available with um Available for me to treat patients with. Um, some of the new biologics are just extraordinarily revolutionizing patients' lives. All of those things get developed and advanced through collaborations between the medical schools and industry. I think it's largely true. I think in some cases industry um, can test their uh, drugs through private practice, practice doctors that are not at academic medical centers, but again, it still requires that medical partnership. Sure. I mean, you think, I guess some of the, the basic science research is probably going on in industry as well, but my guess is that most of the, the science, the, the more basic work is being done in the medical schools. It gets translated somehow to industry, and then it comes back full circle to the medical center's um, for testing in, in humans, oh, to a large extent. Certainly there's some private testing going on. So great good comes of this. So what are the problems? Well, the problems are if you have uh, people who are in academia, say on a faculty, and they are personally benefiting from their ties to industry, or if the academic medical itself, medical center itself is benefiting financially from those ties to industry, one needs to be cautious that the decision-making that's going on by those individuals that have a financial the institution that has a financial interest, that the decisions are still being made in the best interest of patients. And there are some data that suggests that um, even very ethical people are influenced by uh, financial gain or other kinds of uh, favors. Um, coming their way from these kinds of interactions. So there's an apparent and sometimes a real conflict of interest. You want all the decisions that are made by a scientist and by a clinician to be in the best interest of the patients, and you want absolutely for all data that are generated in a clinical trial or a basic science experiment to be um, uh, absolutely valid and verified and verifiable and so you don't want any um, undue influence uh, from uh, a different direction other than seeking truth. So given the many benefits that we've seen, the new products that have been developed through interactions between medical schools and industries, we're not talking about ending those interactions, are we? Well, I, I hope not. Certainly no one in academia and no one in industry wants to end those uh, beneficial relationships, nor would I think the public have any interest in ending those relationships. I think that the uh, those conflicts of interest uh, 
that the better model is to look at those conflicts of interest, to be transparent about them, and to take steps to mitigate the influence of uh, the financial part of the relationship on decision-making for data and on the decision-making for the well-being of patients. I fear that when you call these um, interactions conflicts of interest that you've already, maybe not in your mind, but in other people's mind, already um, convicted the people that um, what we're talking about are um, not conflicts of interest necessarily, but collaborative, productive collaborative interactions between medical center scientists and um, an industry that can help put those great developments that people come up with into the hands of patients. I I think you brought up a very good topic, which is just the semantics around conflict of interest is negative. The word conflict has a negative connotation, and uh, the the phrase conflict of interest has a connotation that I think does sort of suggest uh, an indictment. for that reason, I think a lot of people are using different semantics these days. We call our program that I run at Cleveland Clinic the Innovation Management and Conflict of Interest Program, and it's for the reasons that you brought up. And I think others are uh, changing their, their the names of their programs to be outside interests or some other, uh, some other phrase that doesn't have quite such a negative connotation. On the other hand, one does not want to vary in semantics the idea that there could be influence on decision-making due to these financial relationships. And actually, uh, I think we all want to face them and do something about them. What kinds of decisions are at risk of, of being made incorrectly? Or, or what are we talking about? Are we talking about the medic- what, what equipment the medical center buys? Are we talking what prescription a patient gets? Well, you could be talking about any of those things, and I think you could you could paint a negative picture in a number of different directions. If you're running a clinical trial and you're aggressively trying to recruit subjects for that trial, you don't want to be doing it um, uh, aggressively for any other reason than, than the appropriateness of that decision. So you don't want the fact that there's uh, financial gain involved to be pushing you forward on that or making the decision of getting people into a trial. Likewise, you don't want to interpret data that are generated from a top trial in a biased fashion. Uh, likewise, you don't want the fact that you have a lucrative consulting agreement with a particular company uh, influence your prescribing habits in favor of that company and instead of other competitors that might be better. So those are a few examples, and I think they hit all of the uh, topic areas that your question brought up. I get the sense that, at least based on my experience in clinical trials, it would be very difficult for an investigator at a medical center to misinterpret the data. I mean, you've got multiple centers across the country, maybe across multiple countries involved in collecting data. The, The person who has the relationship with the company is probably delegated a lot of the responsibility for actually seeing the research subjects to well-trained clinical support staff who are collecting data, doing evaluations. Data get collected, they get sent to the company and are collated across those multiple centers or given to a statistician. Um, It seems like it would be quite a rare phenomenon out of the many, many interactions going on 
um, that could somehow be perverted by um, the relationship between the investigator and the company. But am I naive? No, I actually agree with you. I think infractions are um, rare. Uh, I think there are there are newspaper articles and and uh, and uh, and incidents that have happened in the past that would indicate that they that they they can happen. So I think the um, uh, I, I think we have to be careful in using balance between the regulatory uh, apparatus that we bring to bear in managing conflicts of interest versus the uh, the real risks and the costs. And um, uh, but I, but I think you're right. I think uh, the people I know who are in science and in, in medical practice are highly highly ethical people. You, you raise one of my pet peeves in life, and that is the news. The news is great. They, they go out and they find important stuff that people need to know about, but we have to be very careful how we interpret it because they're looking for outliers because outliers are inherently interesting and newsworthy, but we shouldn't assume that those outliers are representative of what usually goes on. What usually goes on is inherently unnewsworthy, and therefore we're not likely to read about it on the front page. So if we hear about some rare event where some investigator has somehow managed to change the interpretation of some large clinical trial, um, that must we have to recognize that must not be representative of the norm every day. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I agree with you completely. I think all of us should be looking at what the uh, press write with some degree of skepticism and a healthy desire for corroboration from other sources. I'm not. I'm not talking about just this issue either. I, I think what you just said is should should be on the top of people's mind as they read the newspaper every morning. Well, I think one of the things we should be trying to do is educate people about what really goes on in science and what goes on in clinical trials and how academic medical centers are going out of their way to uh, identify areas where there could be conflicts and do something about them. So I think um, uh, educating the people the public and educating the media are tasks that we should uh, we should be taking on both in industry and in academia. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. Today we're talking about the relationship between medical schools and industry, the potential problems and ways to deal with it. We're speaking with Guy Chisholm, uh, PhD, He's Director of Innovation Management and the Conflict of Interest Program at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, Dr. Chisholm, um, what measures should reasonably taken um, to help assure that there are more that, that, that industry academic interactions are appropriate? How, what do we need to do? Well, I think one of the um, one of the things that we should all be doing is. All of, our, all of our ties to industry uh, with academia should be transparent. Uh, I think we should be um, exposing those kinds of relationships to the public and, and answering questions that a patient might have or anybody in the public might have uh, about those um, industry-academia partnerships. Uh, we at Cleveland Clinic decided a few years ago to do this, and we put up, we were the first academic medical center in the country to put up a website that told what companies uh, had uh, ties to our individual physicians 
and in fairly granular categories of consulting or equity due to being a uh, discoverer or royalties um, uh, that you got uh, because you were an inventor. We didn't put the amounts of money on the web pages, but we, uh, we, we did put the, uh, the, list, the names of the company under each physician. Several academic medical centers have followed suit, and uh, now there's a, a growing list of prominent academic medical centers who do this. So uh, to answer your question with uh, sort of number one uh, thing we should do is I think we should be transparent, whether it's in a website or a brochure. I think we should be telling the public and our patients about the ties to industry and indicating what are the benefits and risks of that. We. Um, we should all be at our institutions gathering uh, information on the industry ties of all of our physicians, scientists, and faculty uh, in order to uh, have those reported internally and, uh, and looked at by a committee like our Innovation Management Public Interest Committee. And <clears throat> to look at those uh, with the uh, idea in mind of whether there could be an apparent or real of interest and where there's a conflict of interest, do something to manage it. So if a physician has a uh, has invented a and is, is putting that device into patients and gets royalties from that, um, there are, there, uh, you, you can have a policy, for example, uh, that that physician cannot get royalties for that invention that he himself put into patients. Uh, so, so I think there are uh, a series of steps that one can take to mitigate the chances for uh, bias. I think um, people have to make a judgment about how much transparency is appropriate. I, I'm a big believer in transparency. I started one of the doctor rating websites, doctorscore.com, and it shows the public the doctor's scores, uh, the numerical scores. It doesn't show the public... Um, each and every open comment that patients make, I decided that that would have been too much transparency for a number of reasons. Um, you said that the Cleveland Clinic website reports the interactions with companies but doesn't report the dollar values. How, how did you guys decide that that's the appropriate level of transparency? Why, why not show the dollar values too? That is a great question. You know, being the first academic medical center in the country to do this, we had to make some internal decisions about how far we wanted to go. And I think, uh, I think in the end, we were trying to make a first step. First of all, we thought that our patients and uh, who wanted to know this information had a right to know it, so they should be able to go to a public website and find out uh, whether their physician or their prospective physician had ties to industry and what were those companies and in what what uh, capacity? We didn't. Um, we didn't think that the amount of money was uh, as relevant. Uh, although in reporting consulting relationships, we only reported those that were five thousand dollars a year and greater with uh, an individual company. And the thought behind that was that if we listed every time uh, one of our faculty gave a talk industry and got an honorarium, it would be a long list and wouldn't really indicate to our patients where the significant uh, relationships were. So we made those decisions but didn't put the amount of money. Some of the academic medical centers who have come along behind us have chosen to, in ranges, uh, put the amounts of money that, uh, that their physicians and scientists receive, for example, for consulting. Uh, 
We we actually ran a uh, uh, survey of uh, almost 1,400 of our patients at Cleveland Clinic a year ago and asked them questions that we had developed related to what is it that you're that you want to know about your doctor's ties to industry. And uh, we excluded any Cleveland Clinic uh, employees who were patients. So that makes sense. Were, uh, 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 regular patients in the last three years. And they were self-selected by saying that they wouldn't mind filling out surveys related to health care. Um, and so uh, subsequent to that, and based on the data that we got back from that, um, I held two patient focus groups in two different regions. And I did both the survey and the focus groups in, in a partnership with our marketing group at Cleveland Clinic, who's very good at putting questions in an unbiased uh, fashion. So they were very helpful in, uh, in designing the questions and in getting the information. We did find out uh, that from our patients a few things. A uh, very strong majority of them saw the Cleveland Clinic in a uh, more positive light just for the fact that we were willing to be transparent about industry ties. And I think uh, I learned in the focus group that many of them felt that we were handling conflicts of interest that might emanate from these industry ties by the fact that we were being transparent about it. Um, in the focus groups, I, I asked them if they were in, why they were interested in knowing the amounts of money. Was it just for gossip value, or was there really some reason? And there, were, there was uh, some kind of consensus coming from those focus groups that um, an amount of money for consulting that was in the five to ten thousand dollar range uh, indicated to them that their their physician. New things that industry wanted to know, and they saw it in a positive light. But if you multiplied that, that by a factor of 10, they were very skeptical of why there would be that much money coming to a physician for consulting. So I, I got the impression that in all of our minds, there's some number of, uh, some amount of money, and it, it probably varies for all of us, but above which uh, it evokes some skepticism. Um, and that's, that's kind of as much as I can. And, lend to that question. I, I think that's a beautiful point that if I had some condition that was maybe off the beaten track and I really wanted to see an expert, if I could see that that doctor uh, was consulting with several different companies and making consulting dollars from each of them, uh, that would give me a strong sense that that doctor was on the cutting edge and, and, and was the kind of person I would want to see for this. If it was a doctor who didn't take any money from anybody, I, I might feel good about the knowing that they're unbiased and un, 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 um, unencumbered by ties to industry. But at the same time, I might wonder if they're really on the, you know, on the cutting edge of what's new and happening. Well, we, we encountered both points of view from our patients, and uh, but there's also a realization that just because somebody didn't have lucrative uh, industry ties uh, didn't mean that they weren't um, an academic and intellectual force. We have a lot of uh, physicians and scientists who publish very well in very um, prominent journals but decide for one reason or another that uh, that's more important to them than having ties to industry. But we did we did encounter patients who who thought that the ties to industry were beneficial. So, 
being transparent, that's one way you can address the issue. Anything else going on? Well, for for all of these, uh, we, we have all of our physicians and scientists reporting to us internally all of their ties to industry that have anything to do with their professional competence or the healthcare industry. And we look at those. We have a policy for which of those are allowable and which of those um, uh, evoke skepticism from us. And those those that are out of policy or in a range um, that we want more information, we actually review those by um, our Innovation Management Conflict of Interest Committee. And the result of those discussions and those analyses range from asking the physician or scientist to decrease the uh, financial tie, perhaps the amount of money, or um, uh, limiting the activities of, of that physician or scientist. So one of the, the key things you raised earlier that a, a physician scientist might do if they had too much uh, monetary incentive or for whatever reason to um, to uh, recruit too aggressively. One might say, well, look, you can keep uh, consulting, but um, for that particular study, just let your colleagues or staff do the recruiting. You stay out of it. Well, that's actually one of the tools we use in managing these. So if we have a financially interested investigator who needs to be involved in that uh, investigation because of his or her expertise, we, we sometimes set up a management, uh, a management plan element, we call them, where another physician has to do that recruiting or that consenting or agree that that patient is, in fact, a uh, legitimate subject for this study. Besides the potential for these programs to manage the interactions to somehow make industry medical center collaborations less less effective, less um, productive. Do you see any other downsides to to the to what's being done to uh, manage conflict or manage perception no. of conflict? very complex now. The, uh, there are guidelines that we try to follow from the Association of American Medical Colleges, and they've been very prescriptive to academic medical centers for how to handle perceived and real conflicts of interest, especially uh, academia industry ties. So all of us try to follow those guidelines. The NIH is now, however, proposing new rules for conflicts of interest. And um, and some of those are um, much, much tighter and uh, much more difficult to follow. So one of the downsides and one of the worries is the cost of the resources and personnel uh, and infrastructure that one needs to develop at an academic medical center in order to handle the regulatory burden uh, that these these proposed rules uh, would imply. You know, the NIH had. I, I just wanted to say when you when you say the NIH has new rules for conflict of interest, then you know it, it sounds like they they're not thinking about rules about innovation management, which might not be nearly so heinous. Well, the the uh, NIH um, has offered to academia and to the public a comment period where. Um, 
people like us at Cleveland Clinic, people like the AAMC and the AAU, can comment on these proposed rules. And the deadline for that was uh, August 19th. And a lot of the comments coming back were about the additional resources that would be needed and the cost of those to handle the new regulatory burden. And um, in, in, in all of that dialogue coming from NIH and actually from the public and these agencies and commenters uh, was the acknowledgement that uh, these industry ties are beneficial to the public. So the, I, I don't think the NIH is unaware of that. And and uh, I think that they are, uh, like we are, most interested in having those industry ties be beneficial and without bias. Dr. Chisholm, thank you so much for your time today. Did you have any final thoughts for our listeners about um, innovation management or about our healthcare system in general? Well, here, here's my hope, and, and my hope is that we in academia and folks in, in industry and folks in government can be very proactive about educating the public about the benefits, the real benefits and the real risks of industry academia ties so that we all become better at evaluating uh, what are the risky uh, behaviors and what are the ones that are uh, beneficial and support heartily uh, those industry ties to academia that, that will benefit the public and our patient populations. That's good advice. Thank you so much for being on the program today. My pleasure. A foundation of the American healthcare system is trust. We need trust in medicine, trust in our country. Uh, trust underlies the interactions of doctors and their patients. We take medicines because we trust them. We trust in the research that's done on them. We trust in the quality of what we're putting in our bodies. Uh, we like assurances. Um, and recently, there have been high-profile events that, that have shaken the trust that people have. The issue of conflicts of interest uh, has the possibility of shaking that trust further. Um, now, we can't put too much stake in these high-profile incidents because almost by definition, they're not representative of the norm. But they certainly make us question, you know, what else we might be missing. And so... In order to, to maintain and build back trust, uh, there have to be assurances. With regard to the interactions between physicians, uh, academic medical centers, and drug companies, well, there are potential financial conflicts of interest where if, if um, a medical center might have uh, financial benefit from making something look better um, for a drug company, um, we need to be concerned about that. But, of course, we need to keep it in its place. We wouldn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, the collaboration of industry with academic medical centers, with doctors, uh, is so important for developing new products, for getting education to physicians about new treatments and what, what the best way to treat people um, is. So how can this best be achieved? Well, I think guidelines are great. I don't know if they need to come from the government. I like the idea that there's private organizations working to establish um, guidelines that will help rebuild and maintain the public's trust in the process. But above all else, you know, 
I, I think, as Dr. Chisholm was saying, transparency, I think, can be the basis for a lot of this. Um, let, let the public see in what ways uh, medical centers are collaborating with industry. Let the public see um, the various ways that doctors and, and industry are collaborating. I, I thought it was interesting that um, Dr. Chisholm says that it, it, at his organization, they've made um, public the information within ranges of how much money doctors get from drug companies. But I suspect that internally, when they look at those, the information, they don't they probably don't ask the doctors for a range. I know they don't ask at my medicals. And they want to know the specific dollar value. Well, if it's important for them to have that kind of transparency internally, you know, I think the public would benefit from that kind of transparency uh, as well. And I think, well, you know, it's, it's my philosophy that transparency is good. I think it's beneficial. It builds trust. Um, the whole idea of creating a a doctor rating website like DoctorScore is built on the idea that it actually helps both the doctors and the patients for everyone to be able to see the quality of care that's provided, how, how satisfied patients are with their care. I'm sure that's not the only measure of quality, but it's certainly an important one. Well, that's our show for this week. Next week, we look to speak with Dr. David Nash, MD, MBA, Dean of the Jefferson School of Population Health, Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our theme music was composed by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until next week, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's drscore.com. DrScore.com, and we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.